Welcome to the All About You podcast. My name is Sheila and I am your host. In this podcast, I invite people to tell their stories of their travels, hobbies and passions. These podcasts are also now available on my All About You YouTube channel. So if you have a story to tell, please contact me on allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com and let's tell your story. Welcome to another conversation on the All About You podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be here with Carmita, who was a guest on the podcast back in December 2020. Our conversation at that time was about Carmita's dreams to change the world. Well, her world has certainly changed as she has written a book called and I decided about her life of love, perseverance and transformation. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to be a guest again in your podcast. Well, I have to say, Kamita, I do love having a returning guest. I think it's very, very special. And I cannot believe it was two years, nearly two years since we did your last podcast. Yeah. So a lot has happened in that two years. Yes, a lot of, of things happened. I got married in 2021, and then I wrote my book also in 2021, because in 2020, nothing happened. <laughs> we were just locked down and, and miserable. <laughs> yeah, so, yep, I'm moving forward with my dreams, yep. Glad to hear it. So, Kamita, let's start at the very beginning then. So your book is a very personal account of your life. Why did you decide to write a book about your life? Well, the process was interesting. I wanted to write a book about my life since 1979. But, and I started several times writing things down and, and even names, but I never moved forward on that dream. Then, uh, at the beginning of 2021, uh, I was getting a training uh, how to be a, a facilitator, like a trainer. And uh, as a part of that, they requested a bio. And I wrote two pages, and I sent it to my mentor. And he came back to me and says, this is not a bio. This doesn't say where you come from and why you do what you do in the way you do the things. And then I thought, okay. After that, I started to... To make a timeline of my life, when you are 60-something, that's a long timeline. And I started to think, okay, I can use this timeline to write the story of my life, highlighting those moments or steps that have changed my life and that have pushed me to get out of my comfort zone and do the inner work and start to heal and to get better, and to get better, and to get better. So, out of that, I started to write the book. At first, I thought it will be only for me and my husband, maybe my grandchildren, because then they will know me. But then, I remember that the people always says that I inspire them or whatever, and that I'm very brave, and that my story is so interesting. So, I decided to make it a book, a public book, to be just share with people and then I decided to include tools and things I did to go from misery to joy and from victim to victorious and that type of things. 
I think it's a very brave undertaking to write a story of your life and put it out there for everybody else because we've all I'm sure in our life made decisions which were not great we've all made lots of mistakes and probably a lot of things we'd like to forget so I think for somebody to actually make the time and effort to write it all down in the first place but then to let it out in the world I think is incredibly brave. Yeah it's, it's more than brave I would say I will say that uh, it's, it's becoming vulnerable it's just uh, letting people know more about you things that you never share and but I'm sure I'm not the only one who have had those uh, mistakes and, and, and errors. And if I was able to work on them and, and work on myself and do something different and better, and every time better and better and better, then it will be uh, a good tool for people or, or at least a starting point to, to think, okay, if she can do it, I can do it. So... It was an interesting process. I realized things that I didn't know were there <laughs> inside of me. And even I realized, for example, that there were events that they should have made me annoyed, angry. And, and no, apparently I was not angry when, the, when they happened. But then how is that I have bruxism? is because I don't know how hard I tightened my, my, I squeezed my teeth and how many times I have done it through my life to the point that I do it now unconsciously. So, yeah, it was being vulnerable, I would say more than brave, and realizing that I needed more inner work to do and I have been doing it during the process of uh, writing the book and even now. So, Camita, let's talk about some of the stories in the book. Do you go right the way back to your childhood, or do you sort of start at your young as a young adult? No, I started even before. I talk at the beginning because you know, in Latin America, we are a mix of different races, and our culture is a mess because the Europeans, when they came to America, they wiped out our culture. And in most of the cases, uh, that information and, and that wisdom has been lost. And on the other hand, they treat us like we were soulless. They decided that we didn't have soul when maybe we were more connected to God truly than them. But as we were different, they just pushed us away. And on the other hand, we were like that we were less. So if you were not white, with a straight hair, your lips like a, a heart shape, those type, that type of things, you were ugly. So in my case, I am the result of the mix of at least three different races because my father was the son of a black man with a Spanish descendant. And my mother was the daughter of an Aboriginal with somebody. We don't know about that person. So I am a mix of these races, but the standards, the beauty standards, 
were always the white people standards. So when you compare my curly hair, my big mouth, my funny nose with the European or Caucasian standards, I'm ugly. But I'm not really ugly. But it took me like 50 years or so to accept that I'm not, to realize I'm not ugly. Because in my house, my curly hair was uh, like a curse. They were doing everything to try to make it straight. And I, in addition, I had abundant hair. So it was, uh, uh, I was called, for example, black man. Black man, and he was an African. So he has a huge Afro. And he was called black man. And that word became black man. So I was black man. I was... Uh, many other um, funny nicknames. And in addition, I was shy. I talk about this, the ancestors because it's a way to know why I was always thinking I was ugly and undesirable or even unworthy. And then I start to, to tell my story. I'm the eldest. So before I was two years old, my sister was born. At that moment, I started to be responsible for my sister and then my brother and my other brother and my other sister. So I became a leader even without knowing what was a leader. And as I was the eldest, I had to be perfect. So my mother was expecting nothing less than perfection from me. Just talking about your story so far, at a very, very young age, you were told you are not good, you're not perfect because of the way you looked. That obviously reflected how you were treated. Because you were that eldest child, you were then put in a position of responsibility and a carer. That's an awful lot to have to contend with at such a young age. Yeah, and that's part of what I realise it now. When, when writing the, the book, that there was a lot of abuse. Because, yeah, maybe that was the only way my mom had, because my father was uh, in the Merchant Navy, so he was not at home. And then when he were not any, was not anymore in the Merchant Navy, he was working on the lake but on shift. So my mother was at home alone. There was not the internet. You cannot order your groceries by internet. So she had to go. And she cannot go with the baby and, and bring a, the groceries. So I, I realized that since I was a baby, she was leaving me alone at, at home while she had to go pay the, the electricity, buy the groceries, or whatever she needed to do. And then I realized that maybe that's why uh, most of the time I feel I, I am helpless, that nobody will come to help me. Because only God knows how many times I have woke up and, and cried, and nobody came because my mom was not there. All those dots I started to link when I was writing the book. And then I, uh, the, the responsibility of being the eldest and having a, ch a child that is two and a half, five years or seven years old doesn't have the, mat the maturity to take that responsibility. But yeah, we are assigned with the responsibility and we, we have to be, in addition, accountable for that. So I always was the one accountable for the behavior of my siblings. And in many cases, I was punished 
with no reason. I was just a child. <laughs> but yeah, my adult can understand why my mom did that. But the little girl didn't know why she was abandoned, why nobody was coming to, to see her. As an adult going through this experience of writing the book, have you made peace with that young girl you were at the time? Can you understand it a bit more now that the situation your mother was in and literally she had no choice, she had to put you in charge of the family when she wasn't there. Have you made peace with that young Carmita? Yeah, I have made peace with my mother and I have made uh, peace with that young Carmita. You know, most of us, we have traumas or this type of things from our childhood. Our parents gave us the best they could with what they had and what they knew. And they knew a lot less than we do now. Our work is to mother ourselves. So I have been working on that process of uh, mothering myself and to let that little girl know that she's not alone, that that will not happen again, that I'm with her and that I need her with me because in our inner child is where our innocence and creativity and dreams are. So we have to bring that child that is hiding somewhere there, afraid or, or sad or feeling unworthy, we have to let that child know we love her and that we are so sorry for what happened to her, but uh, that now we are here to protect her and that we need her. And, and there is a work that you do to integrate that child with you. And you will do it many times because there are different moments in your childhood when you have been feeling like left out or put down and yeah that's that's the process that's why that's why when you start to open the pandora box then you keep taking things and things out and for me writing the book was in some way opening another pandora box that i haven't seen and work with that so yeah I guess through every area of your life, we're going to have some highs and we're going to have some lows. So I imagine the highs were a really nice experience to write about because you, you've been incredibly successful in your career. The lows, as you say, it's having to revisit that period of time try and make sense of it as an adult as opposed to maybe that very young girl that teenager that young woman trying to make sense of it as you're older as you say making peace with that situation you can understand maybe different aspects of the creation of that problem so let's move on a little bit further in your life. So let's sort of talk about you as, as a young woman. You sort of finished your education. What were your hopes and dreams as a, as a sort of a teenager and a young woman? When I was a child and, and even a teenager, my dream was becoming a dancer. When I was a child, I was singing and dancing all the time. And, and as a teenager, I wanted to be a part of a... A national folklore dance company, but I didn't have the 
the courage to tell that to my mom and quit engineering and do that. So I started engineering and I was a very good student because, you know, I have to set the example and the model for my siblings. And I even had a scholarship for studying. And then I got graduated, I got a job. And then when I started to work as a process engineer, I realized that I didn't like it. I realized I didn't like my career. So, and then I, I gained 18 kilos in 18 months. I became very depressed. I started to take Valium and that type of things prescribed by the doctor. I married with the first guy I found. And thanks God, one of these things that it was sent to me, I found out about environmental engineering. And then we moved cities and I applied for the master's and I went through the screening process and I was accepted. And that in some way reconciled myself with my career because environmental engineering is more me, is more researching and, and working with different disciplines and each project was different. So what I have uh, found through the 40 years I work as an engineer is that whenever I was creating or learning or have a purpose for changing something for the better, I was joyful. But whenever the job was uh, repetitive, and I was just miserable. And the last job I got, it was super clear because I have to set all the rules for the company for their projects. And when I was creating that, I was happy. Once that was finished and I was, it was approved and I only have to review documents and I wanted to do more things to do things better and was not allowed, I started to be miserable. And I was where everybody wants to be, working in a international position, in a corporate position within the, that company, gaining very good money, traveling to exotic places, living in an exotic place. And feeling empty, feeling miserable. I used to work from Sunday to Thursday. So on Saturday night, I will not sleep because I started to be anxious of the, the Sunday morning I have to go get up and go to work. So the marriage of my daughter became an inflection point because until that moment and since she was born, I was living all and for her. She was the center of my life. So I will do everything for her. And at that time, at that moment when, when she was leaving, because she was getting married and leaving the country, I said, okay, now this is something different. And then I started to, to question what I will do with my life. And I started the process again of searching. Now, as I have become a therapist earlier in my life and all those things have more tools, but I was, I, I knew there was something I was not seeing. And then I knew I, I needed help. And then I was hearing about this EFT method. And it was like appealing to me, but I, the information on the internet was not clear. So one day I asked my daughter if she knew, and then she knew somebody who was there in, in Doha and was doing that. So as soon I got the number, I booked a session with him. And working with him helped me realize that I, I cannot continue with engineering. 
I have to change uh, direction. And talking with him, uh, we were recalling, talking about when as I left engineering at, at some moment and to become a therapist, you know, facilitating workshops. And he says, that's it. When you talk about that, your eyes has a spark. The way you speak changes. That's what that you are missing. So I started to think about that and I decided to become a coach. So I got the training, I became a coach. Yeah, I, I was earning good money. At the end of 2014, I think, there was a crash in the oil uh, prices and they decided that they will reduce 30% of the payroll and they will start with those that were older than 60. So I said, okay, this is a sign I was waiting. I will not wait anymore. So there was a moment when my boss called me and said, okay, we have a way for you to stay at, at least two more years. And then I said, oh, thanks for thinking of something, but I decided to get retired. No, yeah, I when my contract finished in June, I will not renew my, my contract. So please uh, take um, the, the actions to make that happen. I think it's very interesting listening to your story of when you were working as an engineer because we've often heard this expression as in people are climbing up the corporate ladder and they get to a certain point, then they realise the ladder is against the wrong wall. Yep. In other words, they've spent all this time and energy climbing their way to the top and they get there and they think, this actually isn't what I want. And that may have taken many, many years to get to that point. But I think it's absolutely fascinating when you're talking about being a therapist, how it ignited, you know, the sparkle in your eyes. And yet that's something you, wow, yes, this is what I'm interested in. Something a million miles away from the oil industry, being an engineer, something completely different. So although you were, in theory, doing the job you had trained for for so long, worked really, you know, you've worked hard at the job, you've climbed the ladder, but then you were having all this anxiety of having to go back to work the next day. Yeah. I think there's an awful lot of people, Carmita, in that situation. Yeah, there is. In fact, in, in that company... It was the environment was very sad and tense, and the people they were there for the money. When going out uh, at the end of the day to the elevator, you will listen the people saying, "Well, one day less for the weekend, uh, or only two more days for the weekend, and yeah, this uh, one week less for my holidays." So I never ever had work as a consultant or or as an employee in a company where the people were so detached from the company. You know, the, the environment was terrible. And yeah, all those people were uh, just there because of the money. But, you know, at the end of the day, what is important is not the money. It's what you want that money for and how much you really need for what you want. 
because you have we have become so greedy and ambitious about money we only want money 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 nobody says i want to make this a better place a better society i'm trying to see how with my talents i can contribute either as a job or as a hobby to make this something better no we are just complaining everything everybody has has a guilt of everything that is going on our life is misery no it's a misery not because we decided wrongly but because everybody else had made our life a misery no we are making our own life a misery or a heaven you know there is people that says that you can live heaven in earth and it's true because we are every day with our decision with our attitudes with our actions creating our world so we can create a hell or we can create heaven it's up to each of us i love that we can each create our heaven or our hell we do that has got such an impact that phrase hasn't it that we can all create our heaven and our hell i know we're all going through very difficult times with the world economy we've got problems with energy crisis most people have had to deal with the fallout of the pandemia i think a lot of the conversations i have had is that people have taken a bit of time to take stock of their life and what's important and i think we've all begun to realize during the pandemia i've got this really beautiful car you know the car is my car of my dreams for us here it would have sat on our drive for literally three months of the year and i think we all began to realize that it was important how we got through our days a lot of people were working from home children were studying from home luckily we're coming out of that situation now but i've had so many conversations with people who have said i'm now taking pleasure in the small things having a meal at home with family and friends sitting and reading a book i know for myself now i have gone back to the joy of sitting down with a book making time to do that and it's taught me a lesson as in we've only got 24 hours in a day and we need to try and find joy that we can create in our life every day even if it is just sitting down for half an hour with a hot cup of tea and read that book for half an hour yep that brings me joy for somebody else it's walking their dog for someone else it's pottering around in the garden it's yep. taking a long bath these things do not have to cost a lot of money yep. we're not yep. talking about throwing hundreds of pounds at something and it's those little things create a heaven or a hell yeah and, and as you said most of them they cost nothing we have to be a little bit like the children you know not the children that these they are all the time on a screen but the children the children you give them a silly thing and for them they make a lot of joy out of that that maybe costed one euro And sometimes you even give them something that costed hundreds of euros 
and they don't feel attracted with that because they like to create things. So if you did give them something to create, they are happy. But we have detached so much from our inner child that we don't play anymore, we don't dream anymore, we don't do silly things anymore. And that's, that is where the joy of life is. And sharing time with people that is important to us, that we love. That, that's very important. I met recently a lady who has worked for 28 years as a sales area international in export imports and that type of things. And out of a sudden, in the new job that they offered her, she was not looking for a new job, they offered her the position. She took the position and a few months later, the company says, you know, we are in a bad financial uh, moment. We have to let go of the newest acquisitions. And so they let go of her and somebody else. And now, because of that, she is realizing all that she has been missing in life because she was always working, because she was focused on being the best, on, on the company. The company has to reach their goals. Well, sometimes the company, the company values and your values are not in line. And you feel miserable in that job because there is something that doesn't match. Maybe it's time for us to start to ask ourselves, why I feel so miserable in this job? Is the position itself? Can I change within the company to another position where I will be, feel better? Or is it just that my values and the values of the organization doesn't match? And I realized that, that for example, for me, the values of the oil and gas industry don't match with mine. I didn't see it. And most of the time you see the values written down in the world, but those are not the values. The values are the ones that they live for. The, you know, the way they treat you. Respect. Do they treat you with respect? No, then that's not the value. It's written there, yes, but you are not living it. And even for us, because values are abstract words. If, for example, honesty or respect, what honesty means to you or for me or transparency or respect, all those. Yeah, if you, you can go to the dictionary and you will have a definition, but that is abstract. So you have to choose your values and then ask yourself, how do I live this value? Because it's just a value that it was has been imposed maybe and I don't live, you know, I don't live to that value. And that's part of of starting to be yourself, who you are, what is important for you. I think this question about values is so, so important because taking the time to sit down and just think about what would be your perfect day. Is it meeting someone for a coffee? Is it feeling productive after a day's work? Is it taking time just to go for a walk in your local park what really gives you that little bit of heaven every day and I think it's an interesting exercise to think if I had my perfect day what would it be like and you could said okay well you know I like, like to spend time with my friends I like to go out and socialize you may not be able to do that every day, but can you do a little phone call every day just for a five, ten minute catch up with somebody so that's something that's important to you that you could do every day. So that's that little bit of me time every day 
in line with your values. And that's your little bit of heaven every day. Yeah, and because, you know, there is this, uh, the people talk about work-life balance. From my point of view, that's a myth. Because work is a part of your life. And then, from my point of view, there are six pillars that support your well-being. Because that's what is important. Living miserably makes <laughs> no sense. So work is intervened on all of these pillars because you need time for you to rest. You have to learn and be creative because it's, this one is body, the other one is mind. Emotions. You shouldn't be stressed 24-7. You need to feel valued. All those things are part of this, that pillar. Then you have relationships. Yeah, you have your co-workers and your boss, but you, then you have your family and your friends. So you ha your work have to also give you space for, for those things. And you have to feel within the co-workers, with your co-workers, you have to feel comfortable, okay? And the community, relate with the community. When you relate with nature and then you have resources, okay, you are earning a, a good amount of money. Are you saving? Are you investing? Or are you only spending or drinking or, or doing something? And on the other hand, how are you managing your time? The time is the most precious of all the resources. You cannot buy it. You cannot lend it. You cannot save it for tomorrow. <laughs> you either use it now or you don't have it. And the last but not least, meaning, sense. Is your work giving you meaning or is giving you emptiness? I just wonder if we go back to the very young Carmita who was a carer for your brothers and sisters, you were in a job of responsibility, and you were a caretaker. Whether that, that experience at that very young age has taken you full circle where you are now coaching people, you're mentoring people. So maybe that very young Carmita was being taught lessons at that very young age that has taken you all the way through your career as an, an engineer to be in the place now where you are thriving because you are, through your story, telling people you are not alone. From, from your story, this is what I went through. This was the right decision. This was the wrong decision. This was the outcome, good and bad. You can get through it. So maybe that young Kamita you were put on a path at that time to be the woman you are now, helping everybody else. Yeah, maybe, yeah. It, it may be because why I was the eldest. Maybe because I came to this world to serve. But that being responsible for uh, my, my siblings also got a toll on me because there was a moment when I was feeling responsible for everybody. So I was responsible for my co-workers and I was responsible for my husband and and. Later, it was there was a moment when I was feeling like I don't want to have any responsibility. Just let me alone. Let me be. And at the beginning, even when as a therapist and later as a coach, taking the responsibility. Now I have changed that also. If somebody comes to me, I, I'm not giving advice if, if it's not asked. Because in the past, I will be always trying to help giving advice to somebody who is not asking me for help. Well, that people is not asking because he doesn't want to do any change. So I learned that 
I have been learning, like finding the right way of uh, helping. And yes, one of my values, my core values is contribution. And another one is empowerment. So yeah, that's in my DNA. So come me to, you wrote the book. How long did it take you to write the book? It, it took me around nine months. It can be done faster, but I was very sick last year. And then the whole process of editing and publishing took another six months, more or less. So when you started writing this, you thought it may be just for you, your husband and your family. What made you decide to actually publish this book for the world? They considering that it could be of help for people, that it could show them that if I could do it, they also can. But the childhood is not necessarily what, like something is a stamp and they cannot change. They can change their relationship with their childhood and with themselves. And I wanted people to know that when you know certainly where you want to go, you will find a way. So when somebody says, no, I want to be this and this, but I cannot find the the time, maybe it's because that's not really the dream, or maybe because they have not connected emotionally with that dream, and they don't get like connecting with that dream frequently. Because what I have found out is that once you have the vision and you connect emotionally with that, and you continue having that connection and feeling that emotion, that will give you the will to make a priority what is prioritary and take the time and move things and say no to many things. And, and that saying no is something that mostly women will have to learn to say no because the patriarchy has taught us that we are the servants. So our needs are the last ones to be met. And that's silly because if you are empty, what you can do? What you can give, you know? It should be like you have the coffee cup and the, the sauce. What is spilling out of the coffee cup and in the sauce is what you can give. But you cannot give and then, okay, once the cup is empty, what you will do? How can you continue giving? Then you start to feel regret, resentment, annoyment, and then you start unconsciously passing bills. I did this for you. How can you not do this for me? Or I have many mothers, mostly those that are very manipulative. They will say, I have done so much for you. How you pray to me like this? Excuse me. You did what you wanted for your children. Don't come with the receipt, <laughs> with the bills, pay here, pay there. But that's what comes when you are giving from an empty cup. So that you were saying that keep every day a little time for you is key because that's how you keep your, your cup full. And as the British guys say, happy wife, happy life. So if you are happy, that's, that's wisdom, <laughs> although the people doesn't see it. But if you are happy, you are the center of your house. So everybody around you will be happy. And the little kids, they sense energetically when you are in distress. So they start to also feel awful and behave awfully. And that is just something that spirals up. And then it comes the shouting. And the more you shout, the more distress and the worse energies in the house. So we need consciously to fill our cup. At the end of the day, you are the CEO and general manager of your life. 
you are the one to, who takes the decisions. So you decide to take time for you or you decide to give all the time away. But you cannot complain, you cannot blame on anybody. It's your decision. So Kamita, you've written the book. It was originally for you and your family. It's now out in the world. How do you feel looking back now you have written everything out you've joined the dots and as an adult and a grown woman you can look back and see why certain things were as they are because you've got the wisdom of the years and the experience to say okay well this is what happened at this time because that's what it was how do you feel now about your life now that you've gone through that process do you look at it very differently uh, yes, I, I have seen things differently. I have recognized that there were many, many moments when could have asked for help, but being the eldest, I never have been used to ask for help and that I could have done things differently. But then now I have that wisdom, as you said, I have that knowledge. And what I want is just to help others that are younger than me to see in the book, in what I share, the reflection of them and then realize that they are doing something in the wrong way and that they are the only ones who can change it. Because at any moment when I decided, that's why I named the book and I decided, because at any moment when I took the decision, either right or wrong, I felt empowered and I could achieve what I wanted. That sometimes I regretted, yes, learn more and more to don't take decisions out of fear or out of anger. Because being annoyed or being afraid will just bring you to take, in most of the cases, the wrong decisions. Because anger and fear are the worst advisors we can have. And I realized I took plenty of decisions out of them. Yeah, even lately in my life, I took decisions out of fear. And I lost money, pain with uh, heart. Everything has a price in this life. Either it's money, time, energy, or pain. But everything has a price. Life is it's exchange. You have, if you want something, really, you have to make an effort to get that. And that effort is a cost. Wish I would have had somebody who has advised me earlier but on the other hand I recognize that I got used to take decisions alone even now I with peer sometimes I struggle because I start to think about something and I, when I could go from the very moment and said to him listen I'm thinking of this what do you think is, is this do you think it's a good idea so I'm still working and learning and these days that I'm learning on how to do investments I was already talking to him. He's very uh, skeptical on, on investments, but I think you can start with little amount and, and try. I think your book, I mean, I'm currently reading your book, but your book, as well as being your own personal story, there's another level completely, as in people can read your story and you're very honest, as in you made mistakes when you made decisions, you were not in the right place when you made a decision and we can all relate to that. As you say, we make a decision through anger and it's just so wrong. But also people can see you're not a perfect person. None of us are perfect. We're all striving for perfection, which is just crazy anyway. Yeah. 
but you've been incredibly honest in this book. People can take lessons from that book, as in, we all try to be everything for everybody. We're often, as you say, women, we put ourselves last. And by reading your book and taking these lessons, hopefully, if, if it helps one person, that's a job well done. Yeah. That, because sometimes... We just need to hear something, and it could be a sentence, a couple of words, and it's as if somebody has come up with this huge thing we've never even heard of before, and it just resonates with us, the bells and the sirens going off, oh my God, that's it. Mm -hmm. And I think just through our conversation today, for me, heaven and hell. Well, let's, let, let's just take a little bit of time to create a little bit of heaven every day. And everybody's bit of heaven is going to be completely different. Yeah, yeah. Even it can be, I don't know, taking the shower a little longer and being touched with yourself or sing out loud in the shower or just, I don't know, stretch yourself as long as you can. Only God knows. For me, it's dancing. So I'm trying to... Every morning after I do the Qigong uh, session, do a little bit of the choreography. We are uh, dancing in my oriental dance class, at least to, to have that. I mean, they say, don't they, dance as if no one's watching. So while yeah. you're waiting for the kettle to boil, put on your favorite disco or whatever you want to do and just go for it for the three minutes. Yeah. And, and you know... That could be your bit of heaven every day. Yeah. And for me, for example, there was a time when I was coming home feeling sad. Uh, writing the book, I realized how long I have been depressed. I never have seen it. That's why, unfortunately, mental health is not taken as serious as it is. But most of the people these days are depressed. And that's why people is just uh, addict to drugs, alcohol, uh, shopping, or, or, or sex. But there were these moments when I was feeling so lonely and depressed. And it was funny. I will put love songs, but very sad love songs. And it was like a tactic. I will start singing them. And after, I don't know, three, four, five songs, I was just <laughs> feeling better. Yeah, everybody will have a different way. So we've just all got to find that little bit of heaven every day. Make the effort. Find out what it is. It could be different every day, but have a little bit of heaven oh. in your life every day. Yeah. Kamita, thank you so much for being a guest again. This, this conversation has got so many gems. Thank you. And I cannot imagine the process of you writing a book about your life. I should imagine that was probably one of the most difficult things you've had to do, is to go through and with the timeline and connect the dots. But it's obviously made you the incredible woman you are today. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you for the incredible woman, yes. We have to be grateful for our story because whatever happened to us, has brought us to where we are. And what we will be in the future is in our hands, not in the past. But from the past, we have wisdom, experiences, knowledge, and some inner work to do. Absolutely. Kamita, thank you so much. I'm definitely going to think about what my little bit of heaven is. And I quite fancy a little, little bit of heaven every day that's going to be different. One day it'd be listening to a favourite piece of music, Another day sitting down for half an hour with a book and a cup of tea. 
maybe another day going for a walk in nature. Yeah, I, th I think the value in that is just incredible. And it's going to be different for everybody else. Yeah, yeah it will. Kamita, thank you so much for such a fascinating and personal conversation. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please subscribe on whatever platform you are using. It is free. And if you would like to tell your story, please contact me on allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com and let's tell your story.